It is great to be here. I passed like uh, 120 churches on the way here. What is this, like church row, or they're just a bunch of heathens in this town? Is that what it is? I mean, there's churches everywhere, it seems like. Am I right? And you guys are out in the woods, so this, this kind of makes me feel uh, a little bit more at home. And, and uh, let me ask you this. How many of you guys have uh, preteens? How many of you have preteens? Okay, how many of y'all have teens? Wow. How many of you guys are grandparents? Guy, isn't grandparenting great? I mean, grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. You know, I've got four of them, and it's just wonderful. My daughter looks at me all the time. She goes, Dad, it's almost like you like them more than us. <laughs> and, and, and then she goes, oh, Dad, I'm, I'm serious. Do. I've got a 17-year-old granddaughter, a 13-year-old, a 6-year-old, and I don't know what the other one is. And, and, uh, but, I mean, it, it's just fun. And I, I realized I'm getting a little bit older. I've been married 43 years. I've got two kids. Um, my wife and I started dating in the ninth grade. Our first date was uh, when this Christian band came through Tulsa, Oklahoma, Led Zeppelin, and... Um, <laughs> That was our first date, and so we, we got married after our uh, sophomore year of college and, and started having kids and, and have always been working with kids. I worked for a church for a number of years and, and was also on staff with Young Life, and I was always taking kids in that were just struggling. I would say, why don't you just come live with us? And, and so they did. Matter of fact, the first young man that came with us was when I was 19, and uh, uh, Jane and I weren't married yet, and somebody walked up and said, I'm struggling with my son. What do I do? I, I don't know. I let him come live with me, and uh, we'll struggle together. And, uh, and so we did that. So that's where it's kind of started and, and how it's kind of happened. Now, through the years, 30 years ago, we moved to Longview, Texas. Anybody here from Texas? Cool. Cool. Where? Plano. Wow. What are you doing moving here? Oh, him. Well, never mind. He's got boots on, so it's a good thing. These, I'm sponsored by a boot company, and, and uh, these boots, people always ask. They're fish. Um, they're Piruku boots, and, and people are always going, that guy looks kind of weird, and uh, wearing those boots. He's got a hairstyle that's kind of, you know, been out for like 40 years. And, and, uh, but you know what? I don't care anymore. I have, I've just kind of given it up. When I was in my... Uh, when I was in my 20s, there was a book that was written called uh, I'm Okay, You're Okay. When I turned 30, I wanted to write a book called I'm Okay, You're Not. And, um, and then when Jan and I went through counseling, because she was screwed up, the, we, <laughs> you know, I, when I turned 40, I wanted to write a book called I'm Not Okay and Neither Are You. Then I turned 50 and um, turned 50 and I wanted to write the book. The title was going to be I'm Not Okay and I Don't Care Anymore. Um, now that I'm 60, and I've now lived with 3,000 kids, they live with us in, we have 60 high school kids that live with us in Texas throughout the year. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Um, but now that I'm 60, I, I want to write a new book called uh, Tasering Kids God's Way. I, I, just, I just think that would be a good, good title. Wouldn't you pick that up if you're walking through an airport? Um, and then I came up with a title. I was in a thing for the Gaithers over in... Uh, Gatlinburg, um, 
which is really funny for me because all those people are just as, when they asked me to speak, I thought, God, this group is just old as dirt. And, uh, and uh, I thought it was just going to be the clanging of oxygen tanks and wheelchair races and all this other, but it was a really fun group. I mean, it is an old group, and, and, uh, but it was funny, but they loved this title. I, I, I don't know, I, I'm having a tough time getting a publisher to take it, but the title uh, will be, just because your butt has a crack in it doesn't mean you're broken. Okay, well, maybe not. Now, think about it for a minute. <laughs> for, that's for anybody who doesn't have a... Uh, anyway, and, um, but, I, but I've realized that I'm getting older. I, I mean, we do. We live with 60 high school kids, and uh, they live with us on the property. It's a residential counseling center. These kids come from all over the country. They really all points of the country. They're good kids. They're great kids. They've grown up in the church. They have great parents. But somewhere along the line, something traumatic has happened. They've gone through a difficult time. Uh, they're starting to make poor choices, so they come and live with us. If I brought them in here and had them sit, they would, you'd go, that's the finest-looking group of kids I've ever seen. They're good kids. They're just struggling. And so what's interesting to me is most people get the idea when you have a home for kids that it's for all these incorrigible juvenile delinquents that are just pathetically miserable and never fit into any group anywhere. And I go, these kids would fit in to your families. Because the hardest thing that I have to convince people all the time is the kids that live with us are no different than my kids. They're no different than your kids. And so from that, I think I started just saying, let's, let's start doing something different and help parents. Somebody approached me and said, you need to write a book. And, and I said, write a book? I don't even read books. And uh, I read magazines, but only if they have a lot of pictures and stuff. And uh, matter of fact, dropped out of law school. Um, because they wanted me to read, and uh, imagine that. And I said, I just can't do it. So I started doing the, the writing a little bit, and then somebody approached us and said, you need to get on the radio. And I said, I'll never, I never want to get on the radio. That's, I just don't fit. Nobody wears boots, nobody has a mustache, nobody, but they also said, but nobody's going to see you either, so it doesn't matter. And so, so through the years, we've just kind of built this thing of helping families across the country so I now spend about 200 nights on the road um, speaking and doing things around the country, just helping families and stuff. I'm now the old guy, which is kind of funny because I look out this way. I don't feel any older than when I was 21, but I realize that I am. When I, I do the Hallmark, I'm on the Hallmark Channel doing some stuff with uh, the home and family thing in the mornings, and I'm the old guy in the room. I mean, the oldest one out of everybody. And it, it's just kind of a weird feeling. I'm, as a matter of fact, I was in Portland, Oregon. I finished a, uh, a little speaking tour to five or six cities there. And, um, and I, ended up, I was worn out. Is anybody here from Oregon? Oregon is, is like the Napa Valley of marijuana. And uh, I, it is. It's crazy. You drive around like fields out here. I mean, they're just rows and rows of pot everywhere. And... Um, Everything I prayed for, like when I was, uh, you know, like a freshman in college. And, uh, you know, and so, so, I mean, there's just, it's everywhere. And I thought it was deer stands that, but it's not, it's guard towers. And what they do is they hire kids there at 15 bucks an hour and they pay them cash to pick bud. That's all you do. And I'm going, God, it's a miserable place to be and they need help desperately. And so they wore me out after five or six nights. I get to the airport and I'm leaving at six in the morning and, and, uh, so I drop off the car that I, that I rented, I, I go into the, uh, to the airport, I get my ticket and all that stuff, and, and I'm just sitting down, and I'm just, you know, I'm, just, I'm going, and it was my birthday, 
It was my birthday. And I'm just going, man, I am just, I'm just hot. I'm tired. Maybe I am getting old. Maybe, maybe I am getting older. I just sat there and I was just kind of, because I was running like crazy to get there. And it's always humid in Portland. And so I was just doing this. And all of a sudden, this young lady, about 24, 25 years old, walks by and just gives me that look. You know that look? That, that look? Then she just walks by. And all of a sudden, she comes back by again, and she just gives me that look again. I went, well, maybe I still got it. <laughs> maybe I still got it. And then she comes back by again, and she just stops and looks at me. And she goes, sir? And I'm going, do you need a wheelchair? Scripture says that gray hair is the glory of old men. I've been getting to feel that a little bit. But after doing this for 40-some years, I've learned this. And if you don't pick up anything that I say today, I want you to hear this, that the most important witness that you can have to your kids is your witness. Is your witness. It's your Christian witness that will make an impact on your kids. It's not the words that you say. It's the example that you set. It is, it is how you uh, engage with them. It is what you do, not what you... For we all know that actions are more important than words. So when you get into the adolescent years, it looks a little bit different. But I've learned this, and I think... And I want to read uh, a scripture to you. It's out of uh, 1 Corinthians. Do you guys read scripture here? You laugh? Right? Okay. Do you all? Is this a Christian place or what? Okay, I know, I know. Y'all need to lighten up a little bit. And, um, but I think, it's, I, I think this is the, the essence. If I had to boil down uh, what I've done all of my life and pouring it into kids and family since I was 19 and I'm now 63, I would say this would be the Scripture. Um, and it says, I was with you in weakness and in much trembling. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the power and spirit of God, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And yet we don't speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age. There's a part of it where I, where I sit there and I go, it's, it's amazing to me that there is something about a witness that I'm not just speaking the words because I have the words, because I've hidden God's word in my heart and it'll pour out at the right time. It is because I'm engaged in such a way that offers an opportunity for somebody to connect with me so that I can share what's in my heart. You know, one of the reasons I think, I, I was Oklahoma Bible quiz champ of, of uh, 1969. Y'all probably know me as that, right? We did nothing but pour Scripture into our life. And that was, that was us. That's what we wanted. We, we, and, but I thought, well, why are we doing this? Matter of fact, I've spent a lot of time in life thinking, why do we do all this stuff? Why do we worship the way we do? Why do we, why do we memorize Scripture? Why do we do all this stuff? Why do, we, why do we do that? And you know what it is? I think when I boil it down, for me, it's so that I might love better. Now, I get close to God in the process, no doubt. 
but it's that I might love better. And the tendency, there's a guy named Don Henley that, um, uh, Don Henley of this other Christian band called the Eagles. Um, Don's, uh, the lady that babysat him for years and years died. Her name is Erdeline LaFoy. She was in uh, Hallsville, Texas, where we are, our little community. She died, and she had taken care of Don as a kid, but Don came to her funeral. I walked in, and he was sitting up front, and I, did, I was going to act, I don't even know who you are, so I just walked up, sat down next to him, and we sat there and talked, and I know he doesn't have a great, um, is anybody related to Don here? <laughs> okay, um, he probably doesn't have one of those faiths that you go, okay, it's just that ironclad thing, and as we were talking and we see her and come back and sit down, I said, what do you think about all this? I mean, we're in a church, there's stained glass, and you know, I just introduced myself as Mark, and he introduced himself as Don. He said, you know what? There'd be a lot more love in this. There'd be a, there'd be a lot more love in this world if it wasn't for Christians. And it changed me. I sat there and I thought, my role is not to be this judgmental, perfectionist, one that demands perfection. My, my goal is to love people and love people well. James Taylor, you can, can you tell him in the music a little bit? James Taylor made a comment a few years ago. He goes, unconditional love over a period of time will warm anybody's heart. And love becomes the message that comes across so that it envelops people to come to us. But it has everything to do with withness. It's your Christian witness. Are you following me? Because this is the key. There's not a team that, that you look at, and, and there's not a culture that we've looked at like today, but every one of us in this room has said this, I'm glad I don't have to grow up in today's culture. Haven't you said that? But our kids do. And the tendency is, instead of maybe allowing them to, to, to grow up and mature so they may walk in a, in a way of, uh, that's manner of, uh, walk in a manner that's worthy of God as we encourage and inspire and all those things. There's something about the need for an understanding of what they're going through. You know, it, it, it's what they go through and how we understand it that changes the way that we engage with them so that they can take what we're offering. Did you see that? Is there a need for that? 85% of kids are leaving the church upon graduation from high school. Something's not working. It's like this. The, the, if I gain an understanding, where's, where's Kevin? Shelby. There he is. Okay. Let's say Kevin walks in the door and he's, and, and, and he's slurring his speech. And, 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 and he's grabbing the, the chairs as he, as he walks up here. And, and, he, and, and he walks up and, and, he, and he comes up and he puts his arm around me and throws up all over my boots. You'd be going, he's not going to be in this church anymore. I don't want him. Not only is he drunk, he's fired. A counselor? Are you serious? Works at Harding? God, get rid of him. And I go, no, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. He's not drunk. He's having an aneurysm. It changes the way that you respond to him, doesn't it? Instead of being embarrassed and angered and mad and disappointed and, and frustrated and full of the need for justice, now I'm filled with compassion. It doesn't matter that my boots are covered with anything. It doesn't even smell anymore. Now I'm honored that he would come to me 
Now I'm honored that he would walk in. Every one of you in this room would run to him in a heartbeat to help him any way you can. And I think what's happening is we're seeing a culture of kids where we're, we're, we're just, we're having a tough time trying to figure out how do we engage with them in such a way to offer them what we have so that they can become closer to us and the Lord in the process. And, in the, and, and what we're missing is an understanding. And so because of the way we're approaching it, we're pushing them away. You, you know that. Every church in America deals with this. There's like a million kids in seventh grade, and there's like two or three that graduate from the high school group. I'm exaggerating just a little bit. But you know what I mean. And starting at about 16, they start falling off. And I, I think it's because they live in a culture of negativity. I mean, the, the culture of negativity, is, it's just negative, all of it. I mean, just look at Instagram and Snapchat, and, and you see it on Facebook a little bit. I, you know, I got a little disturbed this morning going through Facebook, and, and here's John McCain who dies, who I think is a one of the greatest patriots in the country. And, and here he is being ridiculed by different people. And I'm just going unfriending all those people. You know, you jerks. You, yeah, 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 yeah. But I go, it's because everything's negative. Everybody has a place to, to share whatever they want. Scripture says that a fool delights in airing his opinion. So this culture of negativity is always consuming our kids. That's why they can't put down their phones. Because if they don't, they can get caught up in this bullying or whatever. And so they're always looking at their phones. Don't you complain about that? I was in an airport the other day. Imagine that. And, and there were maybe 100 people sitting in the airport around. And every one of them had their phone out doing something. Not engaging with one another. And I'm going, it's, it's not only kids, it's us. But there's a culture of negativity. The second part of it to understand is everyone's a know-it-all. Everyone truly believes that they know everything. It's like the person who's pregnant, just because they've been pregnant once, now can tell everybody else how to be pregnant and what you need to do. A girl on our staff had an autistic son. Now she feels like she's an expert, so she goes around everywhere talking about how to deal with autistic kids. She's had one son. It's, it, 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 that's about as sensible as saying that because I brushed my teeth this morning, that I'm a dentist. Are you following me? Because I know that not everybody knows it all, but so, so many people are concerned about their appearance that it becomes so key. And it's an appearance and performance world our kids live in. That's one of the reasons they leave the church. If it's all about appearance at church, they don't want it because that is the world that they live in. They troll for affirmation. It's a constant trolling. Well, you just look at me. Look at their Instagram. Look at their Facebook. Most kids don't use Facebook. Anymore. Look at it. It's, will somebody just value me? And the reason that they need it so desperately is because they're not connecting in their relationships. I mean, they're just not. I would tell every high school kid here, if, they, if this was packed with high school kids, I would tell them, you are being deceived. Now, I am not an anti-tech guy. I'm not an anti-world kind of guy. I'm not one of those negative guys that go run from it all, everything else. I go, it's a part of wh where we live. But I do say this, is that, you, that if you think that what is on this thing is your experience of, of a relationship, then you're missing out and you're being deceived. And I think most of our kids spend most of their time in the shallow end of the relationship pool. 
So they don't experience the relationship like you and I can. We can sit and talk and get on our phones and sit and talk, look eyeball to eyeball, have conversations. But I don't think our kids have that. So as a result, so as a result, they're not maturing. Scripture says that, that just as iron sharpens iron, so shall one man sharpen the other. And our kids aren't having that kind of relationship. That's why the American Medical Association has increased the age of adolescence to age 27. The American Journal of Adolescent Psychiatry has increased it to age 26. They're not getting their value from relationships. They're not getting that self-image. They're not getting that connection. They don't know how to talk. They're, they're, they're just not maturing as fast. And I think what's happening is, because it's all about appearance and it's, and it's the internet, the, the impact that it's had, is, is that now it's, 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 it's all about this information that's getting passed. And when we begin to understand the amount of information our kids are being bombarded with, it would change the way that you and I engage with our kids. Because moms and dads, if, if you are nothing but a source of information, then your kids will shut you down in a heartbeat. They don't want information anymore. You know why? Hey, Siri, how many people died in the Civil War? Okay, I found this on the web for how many people died in the Civil War. Take a look. I don't need you for information anymore. But what I'm longing for is wisdom. There's a big difference between the two. When you and I grew up, information in this world doubled every 13 years. Amount of codified information, written information. Do you know how quickly it's doubling now? Every hour and a half. Next year, it'll be instantaneous. It's like me watching Fox News. It, I, it drives me nuts. It's just constant stuff over and over and over and over and over again. It's Facebook. It's, it's, it's Facebook. It's just, you know, somebody dies, somebody was born, a puppy, you know, and then they put down their dog, and some idiots, you know, just memorize the book of revelations in Spanish backwards, and then some other moron did a thousand push-ups in less than a minute, you know, and everybody's on vacation but me, you know? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? That everybody's on vacation but me. But it's so much information, I just want to shut it down. I just want to go, ah, I can't do this anymore. So this is kind of a general comment that I would make. Moms, let me do this. And grandmas, let me, this, I would call this a... Um, a slap and a kiss. So bear with me. You talk too much. That's why your kids, when they get in the car, how'd you, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> What'd you do today? Nothing. What are you going to do tonight? Nothing. What do you want to eat? Nothing. A fool delights in airing his opinion. Scripture says that, that um, even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. And our kids are looking for wisdom. And when all they get is more information, they will shut you down. Because they're already they're up to here with information. Okay, is that a, is that a gentle slap? So you've got to quit talking as much. It works during the first 12 years of their life because it's a teaching model. We'll talk about that this afternoon. 
But now we're moving into a training model, and now it's not the time for words. It's time for action. Because I want you to hear this, moms and grandmothers. Every man in this room knows that any one of you possesses more wisdom than every man in this room put together. And if you keep talking and your kids shut you down, they will never be able to hear the wisdom that you have to share and that they so desperately need. Is that a good kiss? Because I applaud you, lady. I applaud you for the wisdom that you carry. But there's something about kids who are going, I, just, I, I can't do this. Any dad that, that just gives a child more information. It, you know, remember the scripture that says, uh, uh, what, what father, when his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? Or what, what father, when his son asks for fish, gives him a serpent? And I would add, even though I'm not adding to Scripture because I know what happens to those people. Um, you know, what father, when his son asks for wisdom, gives him information? Our kids are dying for wisdom. How do I take the things, the principles, the values, all those things that you've built in my life during this, this stage, this 1 through 12, when you've taught me all these things, You've taught me how to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. I get it. But when I move up in the adolescent years, the issue is not about teaching more. I want to know how to take this and apply it to the culture that I live in. Because you can either raise your kids to live in a zoo, or you can prepare them to survive in the jungle. And your kids want the latter. So please hear just, it, just the comment. And, and it doesn't mean that... that Dad, you get off the hook either and, and because some of you were doing like this to your wife and, and when I said, you've got to quit talking, some men just went. <laughs> but dad, you've got to quit trying to fix everything all the time. You have a tendency to fix everything just as much as the ladies have a tendency to talk. It's absolutely amazing. And here's what happens when you try to fix everything. You're so concerned with fixing it, you're not hearing the heart of your child. You're not hearing an understanding. Scripture says that, another scripture, a proverb says that, that a fool, a fool uh, answers a question before it's even asked. That I'm more concerned about what I'm doing rather than what you're doing. And this is where you're going to lose your daughters. Because every woman, no matter what age they are, from the little babies that are here up to age 1,000, they want to be heard and understood. And we have this tendency to want to fix things, even in our conversations. Can we get it over with and I'll just fix it and tell her the answer? Instead of saying, let's have a continuous discussion. There's a little girl named Kara Lee that I just had dinner with in Denver. I was with her parents. When she was 14, she stole our car and totaled it. And um, so I had a discussion with her then because I had her arrested. And she spent some time in jail. And I would go see her, and I would just, we had a discussion. Now I'm having this, a same, the same discussion. Now it's 30-some years long, because now she's 48 years old, and she's a grandmother, and she just got Colorado Teacher of the Year. I don't have little conversations. I have convers this one conversation that's spread over a period of time. And when we always try to fix things, we ruin it. And we, I know we have that tendency. I, I, I stayed at the Hilton 
Does anybody here work for the Hilton? In room 1107, the shower head was broken, but I fixed it, okay? Because I just have a tendency to fix things. Uh, one, of the, one of the lamps, one of the lamps wasn't working, and so I had this pair of nail clippers, and it had a little thing, so I unscrewed it and fixed it and retached it. And I, that's, that's the nature. But sometimes we get so consumed with those things, we forget what, what else we need to be doing. You know, here's, here's the thing for all you uh, preteens or, or preteen parents, or if your grandparents are preteens, it's understanding this, that, that whatever style of parenting you have used and whatever tools you have used in the 1 through 12 age here, they are not going to be effective 12 to 19 here. Matter of fact, they're going to render you almost useless and invaluable. And so it just means as the needs of kids change when they move from these years where they think everything is perfect and now they're moving into an imperfect world, when they move from, a, from concrete understanding now to abstract understanding, when they move when we make all the decisions and now the intent is to help them make decisions when we're responsible for them, now we want to build responsibility into them where we are, are, are ones that are saying, you're dependent on us and... Now we're moving them to independence. Are you catching what I'm saying? Now we're changing the game up a little bit. We, we've got to change the way we engage with them or you will fail. Because by age 13 or 14, your kids, kids will get tired. It, w- it will appear that they're rebelling. Out of all the kids that have been with me, church, uh, sports camp, uh, uh, young life, and the kids that have lived with us, I've only met maybe three or four rebellious kids. Sometimes I think the rebellious child is the healthiest child in the whole family because they're saying this isn't working. You've got to shift that style because here we get these coffee mugs and T-shirts that say, that say world's greatest mom and world's greatest dad. So we keep saying, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. And then we get up here and they go, what, did, what am I doing wrong? It's not working anymore. Your kids love you to death here, and then you get up here and it's kind of, you know, they're just gone. I can't stand you anymore. Oh, where did it change? They changed. And so now the challenge is, how do I engage differently to offer them what they want rather than giving them what I feel like they always need? See the difference between the two? And so it just means that I'm going to engage differently. And, the, and, the, and you go, well, no, I'm, I've been a good parent. Realize this, there's a, there's a, 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 this is a wonderful scripture. It says, lean not on your own understanding. And the tendency is we, we look at kids and the culture and everything and we put it through our grid, not looking at their grid and saying, what do they need? So middle school people, more than anybody else, more than anything else, shift your parenting style. And to, to anybody that has high school kids, This is the time that your kids have been listening to you. This is the time here that you need to be listening to your kids. Moms, do this. Go home and be quiet for 24 hours. I know it'll be a miracle. (laughs) Give it a shot. And what you'll have is kids coming to you going... What's wrong? (laughs) Dad, what's wrong with mom? She drinking again? I mean, they're not going to believe it. 
Dads, do something a little bit different. Go up to your kids tonight. Just knock on the door. Open the door, regardless of where your relationship is, whether it's wonderfully perfect or just a pathetic mess, and say this. Hey, I just want you to know this. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. Your kids are going to be up all night. God, there's something wrong with mom and dad. They're doing something. I don't know what it is. It's engaging differently to offer your kids what they need at the time that they need it the most. Listen. Listen. That becomes so important. I was, we record our radio program. We record all the kids in, um, at Heartlight, the, the name of the program that we've got, where we have all the kids living with us, and, and that's sent off to L.A., and so they kind of clean it up a little bit, and, uh, and then we meet in Chicago, and we record at Moody Studios. Um, Moody is a wonderful, wonderful place, and, and, uh, and so they asked me to, um, they said, can you step in and be a guest on uh, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages show that he has? He he lives in North Carolina. Is anybody here related to Gary Chapman? He, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything negative about it. He's a wonderful man. But he came out with a book in 1995, The Five Love Languages, and they have a program over it, and it's done well. And so he's in North Carolina. I'm in Chicago, and the host of the show is in Tucson, Arizona. Here, just tell him I'll call him back in just a minute. And, um, and so they said, well, you come in and, and do this show. Do you know what the five love languages are? It's, it, every, it's almost like everybody knows that. You know, it, five love languages are uh, words of affirmation, um, uh, gifts, acts of service. Uh, what's that? Quality time, quality time, and, uh, and physical touch. Thank you. And, um, but here's, here's my problem. Um, um, I don't want any gifts because um, I already have enough junk at my house. I don't want you to come mow my yard. I'd rather do it myself. I really don't believe your words of affirmation. I mean, and um, I don't have any time. I've, I'm on the road so much. I came home a couple of weeks ago. My dog bit me. My wife didn't remember my name. And I thought, okay, I got to spend some more time at home. But I don't have any time to spend with anybody. And I don't want you to touch me. And so those things, <laughs> they, just, they just aren't. My love languages. Sometimes I think there's, there are women's love language. I think men have a love language. Another one, sarcasm. I think that's... You men know it. I mean, men just are sarcastic and they, with each other in a positive way. I mean, there's competition is another one. So anyway, they asked me to be on the show, but that's what I've kind of thought for a number of times. And I walk into the studio and they hand me a script. And so I said, well, I don't do scripts. And uh, they go, well, Gary likes to have everything all lined out. And I said, okay, well, let's, uh, let's see. And um, let's see how we do this. So it's Q Music, and Chris Fabry comes on from Tucson, and he says, uh, folks, welcome to the, the Gary Chapman Show, Five Love Languages with our host, Gary Chapman, and our special guest today is Mark Gregston. And Gary goes, hi, Mark, how are you? Hi, Gary, it's good to be here. Uh, or you, you're in Chicago. Why, Gary? Yes, I am. I mean, uh, you live in Texas. Why, yes, I do. I hear you wear boots. 
uh, yippee-yay-kaye. You know, I mean, it's just, I was gone. This is not gonna work. This is, this is not. So after about 10 minutes of this, I just said, hey, Gary, I got a question for you. And Chris immediately jumped in and goes, no, why don't we, why don't we kind of, no, no, I, I, Chris, I think this is an important question. And Gary, I think it'd be a great one for you. Let me just ask you a question. And uh, do you th- I said, do you think there's more than five love languages? And there was just kind of a silence for a minute. <laughs> and, and Gary comes back and he says, well, I think I've talked about all of them in this. And I said, well, we used to think there were just nine planets, you know? I mean, and Pluto was in, Pluto's out. Pluto's in, Pluto's out. And I said, there used to be just nine planets. And, and I said, do you realize how many planets we've discovered? And the first one was discovered the first year your book came out in 1995. Do you know how many exoplanets there are? 2,598. And I looked at him and I, I, I just said, it, there could be more. They've never asked me to be back on the program. And, and, uh, and so that's kind of over with. But, but I did a lot of thinking about what are my love languages? And I found this, that, there, that I have two. One, I want to be defended by those people I've been loyal to. I don't know why. When you stand up and defend me, it means the world to me. When somebody's being critical of me and somebody goes, no, no, stop, stop, quit doing that. It me- when my wife stands up for me, when my dog barks, when people are coming in the front door, they're just, God, she's standing up, she's protecting me. There's something about that, probably because I didn't get that as a kid. And the second thing would be this. I just want to be invited. I'm not going to show up. I don't have the time, but I just want to be invited. And I think those are two things that every teen wants desperately. So you have to ask the question, what is your teen's love language? Because it may not be the box that you've grown up to think that it is. I keep trying to love them this way. I'm giving them gifts. I'm giving them my time. I'm, I'm, there's words of affirmation. I'm touching them like crazy and like... You know, and it's just not working. Maybe your child is just like me, and those things don't really mean anything. And so you're missing out because you're not thinking outside of the box. And these times, I would encourage you to think outside the box. It's unprecedented what's happening in our culture. We are truly pioneer parents and grandparents trying to figure out how to take this whole new world of connection and communication and change it in such a way that we're still offering our kids what they want desperately. And that becomes somewhat hard. So I would tell you more than anything else, you have got to listen. You've got to listen. Grandparents, for you grandparents here, you hold a a special role. Bill and Gloria Gaither encouraged me to write a book, and I on grandparenting, and I, and I told them, it's, I said, no, I can't do that. I mean, and they said, no, you need to. I said, no, you need to. You're old. And uh, no, Mark, you're old. No, I'm not. You're as old as dirt, and you need to do it. And so, so we went up and spent a couple of days with them, and we were sitting around talking, and Gloria kind of convinced me. So for the next year, I just said, I'm going to write a grandparenting book. It's called Leaving a Legacy of Hope. And, and I really started to realize that parents... Um, influence, but it's grandparents who leave a legacy. And so there's something important about that in the life of every teen there is across this country. 
to have a legacy within a family that they can look up to. So I tell grandparents all the time, make sure that you're not being a parent, unless you're in that role and have to be, but that you be a grandparent. And it's like this, I don't correct my grandkids when they're at my home at all. That's not my role. If they're doing something wrong, then that's their deal. I'm going to love them, encourage them. I'm going to provide a place of rest. I'm going to give them an opportunity to talk about the things that they need to talk about in hopes of this, that one day they'll move toward me. And I don't sit there and just keep rattling off everything. You need to get your life together. You need to do this. You need to go to church more. You need to... Because your teen grandkids will cut you off in a heartbeat and you will be eliminated and they'll get up at their wedding and the only thing that they'll be able to remember you by is something you did when they were like eight years old. I want to be involved in the life of my grandkids from here on out. And I've got big ears to listen. My granddaughter called and said, hey, or she writes me. I mean, and she just wrote me just a minute ago. She goes, where are you this morning? But my granddaughter wrote, she goes, hey, Papa, can we get together and talk? Yep. I'll be home tomorrow. I mean, just you and me. Yeah. Can we go eat dinner? Yeah. Can we go eat dinner away from everybody? from my wife and her parents. Yeah. Okay, what's up? I got drunk. Cool. What else? Well, I just needed to tell you. Okay. What are you thinking? That's what you're waiting for. You're waiting for your kids to come to you and ask questions. I mean, because here's where we... Here's where we give all the answers those first 12 years, and here's where we ought to be spending most of our time asking questions, teaching them how to ask questions so they can seek out wisdom. You're waiting for your daughter to come to you moms and say, hey mom, mom, you and dad have sex before you got married? Nobody answer, please. You know, and I've got to make sure I look at everybody, you know, because somebody will go, he looked at me when he asked that. He knows, you know. <laughs> But that's what you're waiting for. Because your child may be wrestling with something and you need to help them. So there's a, you know, when you're, and it may be, hon, this is, I need to tell you some things. Now, don't go into detail. Well, it was a hot August night and <laughs> back of a 68 Chevy. And, no, it's not that. But your child is asking for wisdom. And, it, and the wisdom is not going to be, well, don't have sex because that's just another piece of information. And my concern for kids is that they're taking Scripture and interpreting it just as another piece of information. It's our job to make it come alive. And if wisdom is gathered through observation, reflection, and experience, then it's saying, you know, we did, and this is what I've seen, this is what I've observed, this is what I've reflected on, this is what I've experienced. That when you do that before marriage, it has an amazing way of confusing the relationship. And if this is the guy that you want to marry, stay away from it. Don't ruin the opportunity. Sweetheart, it's normal, it's natural, but there's some rules here because God wants something really good for you. So it may be, you can say, don't make the mistake I made, or I hope you don't. But it's, that's wisdom as opposed to just another piece of information. It's the same way when you... When, when your son comes to you, dads, and say, hey, dad, you smoked pot in high school? 
uh, no, but your mother did. <laughs> it's not just saying don't smoke pot. That's the information. They want wisdom. And the wisdom is this. Hey, one day you're going to get to choose whatever you want to do. And it's probably going to be legal anywhere and everywhere, but I would caution you on this. Don't ever lean on anything to make it through the day. And my problem is, is that I see because of experience or whatever, what I've experienced, what I've thought about, I see kids that lose their motivation for life when they start in their teen years. Now, beyond that, you've got to figure that out. That's between you and God. But as long as you're in our home, I'm going to say, you can't do it. I'm not going to let you do it. And there's a reason behind it. So they hear the wisdom of it. And I think one of the other things that becomes so important is that we give perspective to what's going on in this culture. This is so important. I, my granddaughters wanted to go see Taylor Swift. I met her a number of years ago, and, and uh, we do a lot of stuff in Nashville and with artists that, are, um, that help us on the radio program. And, and, um, and so they wanted to go see uh, T-Swizzle. And, um, and so I said, so I charged my daughter, why don't you get the ticket? So it was her and my wife, myself, our two grandkids, and, and two other girls that wanted to go. So my daughter bought the tickets. We were going to Shreveport, Louisiana, and, uh, which is 40 miles from us. And we get to the arena, and we are walking to, I mean, we are walking to the very back of the of the stadium, I mean, to, of this arena. And I, I'm just old enough now, I'm going to sit in the front. I don't, I don't want to sit in the back. You know, do y'all do that? I go, I'm spending the money, I'm sitting up front. I, I go to concerts all over the place, and I'm sitting up front. I'm not going to sit in the back. So, I mean, I was making it out to be this miserable existence, and all of a sudden, we're in the very back. We're on the back row. The, we're on the upper tier back row. Every time I did this, I'd hit concrete. That's how far back we were. <laughs> See what it did? It just wore the back of my head out. And so I sat there and I was just complaining. So it was me and, and my daughter and these little girls and 19,000 other screaming little girls all dressed like Taylor Swift. And I said, this is just, this is bizarre. Why are we sitting back here? This is, and my granddaughter, Macy, heard me complaining. When Taylor Swift came out, she, it, it looked like an ant playing a guitar. She was about that big. I couldn't even see her. I go, you can't even, I kept going on and on and on about how horrible this was. This is, this is horrible. There isn't anything worse in the world right now than where we are sitting. This is awful. This is miserable. And my granddaughter looks at me and she goes, well, Papa, these are the best seats in the whole house. Well, why is that? She goes, because you can see everything from here. The back of everyone's head, the plumbing, the lighting. We can see it all. There wasn't any place that we couldn't see. Okay, whatever. And so I just silently, you know, boiled as I sat there and just, this is a mess. And then after about 30 minutes into the concert, all of a sudden, Taylor Swift was standing right there. She'd come around to the back of the arena to the very last row and was standing right next to me. 
I mean, I could reach out and touch her, not like the guy in Denver did, but, <laughs> but, but her guitar, she had a new string on it, and it kind of poked me. I had to move back to take pictures of my grandkids with Taylor. And she sat there and sang a couple of, that's why everybody loves Taylor to death. And so she, I mean, it, it was absolutely amazing. She leaves, things start to calm down. My granddaughter looks at me and she says this. See, Papa, I told you these were the best seats in the house. Perspective. You and I are called to give perspective to our kids and to our grandkids. To let them make sense of the mess that they feel like we're living in. They think these are the worst times. I grew up in the 60s. Presidents assassinated, Vietnam, riots across this country. All that stuff, I'm going. This is nothing compared to what it was. They get the idea that it's worse. They get the idea there's just tornadoes everywhere because we hear about them all the time, right? The last time there was a real rash of tornadoes was when we lost our home in a tornado in 1974. They think if you go into the ocean, you're going to get eaten by a shark because that's all they hear about. Because they get all this information that everybody's getting eaten by a shark. My kids, when we go to Mexico, won't get in the water because they feel like if you get in water, you're going to get eaten by a shark. Do you know how many people really are killed by a shark in the U.S. on a yearly basis? Less than one. So there's a part of it where it's perspective and helping them through this thing called adolescence that becomes so difficult, but you are so needed as a parent. Matter of fact, I would go as far to say the most important relationship that your teen within your family can have is with you parents and you grandparents so that you can speak the truth to them in, in love, so that you can affirm them, give them perspective, so you can listen to what's going on, so you can help prepare them for the world they're going to live in, and so that you can be a beacon of hope and a light amidst the darkness of a culture that is so contrary to what you and I believe. This afternoon, we'll be kind of picking this thing apart, running with it, and, and, and going off in a bunch of different directions. We go from 3 to 6 o'clock. Trust me, it will go fast. Guys, you'll love it. I'm, I'm one of those guys that never tell men they're wrong because men don't like to be told they're wrong. Am I right? Of course I'm right. And, um, <laughs> but we'll have a good time and, and uh, hopefully we can help you in, in, uh, in your parenting or your grandparenting of those teens that need you desperately. Thank you so much for listening.